Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. The Bible is a fantastic account that tells the story of God's redemptive process in the lives of sinners. It starts in Genesis and it culminates in Revelation with that amazing, mind-boggling vision of the city of the New Jerusalem. Come to understand, the Bible tells the story of God calling sinners and redeeming them and filling them with His Spirit and then working in them to grow and to mature into His nature and His likeness and His character and His dominion and and bearing the fruit of the person of Jesus Christ. And it climaxes there in Revelation 21 and 22 with this vision of the bride of Christ, this mystical city that very much has the resemblance of God upon her. Well, that's the positive side of the Bible. That's a thread that I encourage you to to explore a theme, uh, the redemptive theme, if you will. But there is another theme that also starts in the book of Genesis and then climaxes also in the book of Revelation. And it's the theme of man's rebellion, man's independence, man's self-dominance, man's own ego. And starting there in Genesis, there's also this story of man constantly wanting to do his own thing. I know better than God. My flesh knows better. Um, It's about idolatry. It's about my own ego. It's about my own prestige and a name for myself. And yeah, starting in Genesis, you can see constantly in every chapter all the way to the book of Revelation, how there's not only growth on the side of redemption, but there is a deterioration on the side of rebellion. On the positive side, it culminates in the New Jerusalem, this city of God with all the saints compounded to express God. But on the negative side, the rebellion and the sin and the fleshliness of man, my persistence in my own mind, my own will, my own ego for my own glory, it culminates in a harlot city in Revelation 17 and 18. And that city has many of the qualities of the positive city, the New Jerusalem, but it's really a fabrication, a knockoff, and it's it's full of murder and drunkenness and blood and martyrdom and harlotry. In this message, I spoke to a group of young people that are new in the Lord, and they've, they've touched life. They have touched the Holy Spirit, and I can just tell in them they are ready to pursue God, and I praise the Lord for this group of young people. But many of us have started in the Spirit, 
like in the book of Galatians, for instance. And then we think, okay, well, I've got the Spirit. I'm saved. I got this, Lord. I I can do this in the flesh. This message is to warn those young people that even though you had a start in life, you had a start in the Spirit, continue in that because many of us can, in a way, deteriorate back into the flesh and, and live this spiritual life in a fake, false, pseudo-religious way where we're not in the life of God. We're in the knowledge of good and evil. We're not in the New Jerusalem. We are in a harlotry religious system that looks good, so to speak, but really is, in a way, antagonistic, opposed to the things of the Spirit of God. Paul would say in Romans 8, those who are in the flesh, they cannot please God, and they find themselves even at war with God. My burden here, and it's a strong burden, as you will hear, was to warn these young people to stay in the Spirit, and not for one minute, for one day, for one season, for one era, one decade of your life, lapse into religion. Even Christian religion, if you will, that emphasizes the the works of the flesh, the doings of the flesh, the good of the flesh, to please God and to live out this Christian life. So I hope you can pick up on that burden, and wherever you are in your walk with God, my burden is to encourage you to stay in the Spirit. So may the Spirit gain ground in you as I am still asking the Lord to continue to gain ground in me so that we can be built with gold, silver, and precious stones and be a part of this beautiful expression of glory in the new Jerusalem instead of this negative expression of religious adultery and harlotry in Babylon the Great. So the number one theme in the Bible is building. But the way God accomplished this building is through the tree of life. It's through the tree of life. So life is the second major theme in the Bible. Genesis is not a record of creation. Genesis is a record of life. In it you see how whatever God creates has the element of life in it. And then when man comes along... God gives the command in Genesis 1.26 to the man to have the image, to have the authority and the dominion, to be in his likeness, to be his representative, his ambassador, his agent. But man still needed to be put before the tree of life because life is the means by which God will build in you. He will not build in you by religion. He'll not build in you by flesh. He'll build in you with his own uncreated divine nature. Hallelujah. At one particular time, we used to have this fallen angel life building in us. But God's Zoe glory is so much different than that fallen angel's life. That fallen angel's life is still has some residue in the flesh. 
but the life of God is stronger. Doesn't the Bible say, he who is in me is stronger than he who is in the world? If you want to experience the strength of God in you, you'll have to step out of the world. He who is in you is stronger than he is in the world. Play with the world and you won't experience the life-building strength of God in you. Now we can say, truly, I live by a different life. This is a life that is uncreated. This is the highest life. This is the very divine nature of God. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, you and I have become a partaker of this divine nature. I am a partaker of this divine nature. Here's what's happening. This divine nature is flowing within me and it's building this divine city in Revelation. This divine city has the very nature of God in it. It's in the likeness of God. It has the image of God, the resemblance of God, the authority of God, the dominion of God. It's in the very kind, within the very divine element of God Himself. This city is made out of pure gold. Pure gold is the divine nature of God in Scripture. It's the element of God. Paul says, be careful how you build. Do you build with gold, silver, and precious stones? Do you build with the divine element of God? Is that divine life, is it building gold in you, the nature of God in you? Or are you building with wood, hay, or stubble? See, there's a building nonetheless. It's just what element is it being built with? Are you with me? The Bible's revelation is that God is building in me with His own uncreated life. And He's building me into His very image so that I am a partaker of the divine nature. In the tabernacle, there was 45 planks put next to each other. 45 of them. Okay, I've drawn 10 here. 45 planks made out of acacia wood. Then this acacia wood was overlaid with gold. And that wood represents my human nature. But what happens with this acacia wood, it was completely overlaid with gold. So that the whole tabernacle was overlaid with gold. Gold is the divine nature of God. This shows us that these individual planks is like the individual members of the body of Christ making up the tabernacle, which is God's dwelling place. It's the same as the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is overlaid with gold. It is my human nature replaced with the divine nature, covered with the divine nature. So the human nature and the divine nature are mingled, what we say. They've become one. Doesn't the Bible say that the man whose spirit is, is infused with the Lord's spirit, the two become one spirit? Don't Jesus say in John 17, O oh, Father, that they may be one in us and us in them, that we may be mingled together? Doesn't He say there that we are the acacia wood? God is the divine nature and He wants to overlay you with the divine nature. This is the new Jerusalem. But notice, I'm still an individual plank. But then there's these, there's these um, rings that were put on the outside of these planks. And there was a big pole that wrapped it all together that went through those rings. So here's the, the plank, there's the ring on the side, and a pole that bound all these planks together. 
one pole binding them all together. This is the body of Christ. Here is the tabernacle. It's got this individual plank with the rings right there. You see all the rings? And then it has a pole all the way through and a pole and a pole binding the whole tabernacle together. Jesus Christ is this pole. He is that gold that overlays all those planks because He's putting His nature into you, transforming you, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 3, day to day into the glorious image of God. How does He do this? By the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit is that flow of life in you. He puts the divine nature over you. Yes, I'm an individual, Francois here. Here's Zach. There's Kenny. There's Maury, there's Caleb, there's Nicole, there's each one of us here, there's Adrian, and there's, there's Greg, each one of us. And yet we're bound together by the Word of the Lord, this Christ of God, the blood of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is binding us together. Why was there a tabernacle? Why? For a dwelling place for God. The tabernacle had the, the Ark of the Covenant right there, and then it had the table of showbread there, the altar of incense, and the, the candlestick over here. All these elements was to promote the presence of God. And God is working within you light. He is working within you bread. He said, I am the bread of life. This bread was called the bread of presence. It was for the priest's enjoyment. It was an offering to God, but for the priest's enjoyment. This bread, Christ is offering Himself as this bread to us. He is offering Himself as the light to us. This altar of incense here was to create a fragrant aroma. Christ is that aroma. Doesn't Paul say to the Corinthians, He dispenses His fragrance through you. He's that aroma. All these things to do what? to promote the presence of God to come into the holiest of all. All these planks knit together. This is what God's doing in you. He is putting His nature within you day by day by day. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, even though the outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed day by day. I ask you this question. Are you being renewed day by day? Do you experience the decay of the acacia wood? and the replacement of the divine nature in you. Can you, like Paul, say, it is no longer acacia wood that lives, but it is gold that lives. And the life I now live and reflect is the gold nature. Here's the lesson from the tabernacle. Oh, we have so much symbolism in the Bible. It's, it's too wonderful. Individual planks yet together bound as the city this is the new Jerusalem. Later the tabernacle becomes the temple. The temple is enlarged. And then later you read in Revelation, it's the new Jerusalem. God is building you into a corporate body with the nature of God. The uncreated element of God is put within you. The divine nature, the life of God. And this city is not built with human hands. It's not built with human religion. This building is with the very life of God. Amen.
God is day by day by day changing me. The natural me is being exchanged and the supernatural life of God is beginning to saturate and permeate and then manifest through me. Um, on your notes there, we've spoken page one that God started off with a building, started off with a man, started off with a bride, and He's going to mature this bride, but in the way of life. And we looked a little bit in the book of Revelation what this life will look like. I told you that God doesn't work with you according to law anymore, but He works with you according to the principle of life. And we looked at the fact that Genesis 2 comes before Exodus 20. The tree of life was put before man. Man was only to eat the tree of life. And when he eats God's nature into him, the very uncreated element of God, the very gold of God, that gold would build in man. Man never ate of it, and so man was put into a restriction called the law. But then comes the tree of life eventually again to earth. And the tree of life puts on flesh, hallelujah, and delivers me from the regulation and plugs me back into the life. And this man, I told you there in your notes last week, this man came to us and he said, I am life to you. This man came and said, I am light to you. I am food to you. I am drink. I am breath and I am your dwelling place. And we told you last week, God's concern is not with doing. God's concern is with eating. Long before God gave the law, He just told man, watch what you eat. Eat the tree of life, and life will constitute you into the element of God, into the nature of God, into the being of God, into union with God. But man ate the wrong thing and he was constituted one with the fallen angel. So we remember any of those things? Okay. We've talked about that a little bit. And now we have talked a little bit about Genesis 3. We see how in Genesis 2, God's desire is that you mingle with life. But in Genesis 3, man mingles with the enemy. Man mingles with death. We saw in Genesis 4 the consequence of that mingling. It's a murderous spirit. What does murder do? Murder takes what away from another person? Life. Do you know that Jesus said, not is it anymore just a matter of actually murdering or actually killing the person. Actually just being angry with the person is just as good as murder. Why? Because my anger takes life away from you. That's the element of Satan in me. That's the element of death in me. What does death do? It wants to steal, kill, and destroy life. When I curse you, and I gossip about you, and I speak negatively about you, I am stealing life out of you, and I find myself dying. And the more I think I'm putting life into me, the more I'm dying, dying, dying. That spirit of murder we see in Genesis 4, Cain murdering his brother Abel, taking life from him. The very thing God wanted man to live by is now attacked. Then you see here in Genesis 4, man no longer lives by God's provision. He no longer lives by God's pleasure or God's protection. In Genesis 3, there's man's rebellion. In Genesis 4, there's man's own building with his own provision, his own pleasure, his own protection. We talked about that. 
You see there in your notes in the middle of page 3, man's rebellion in Genesis 3, man's building in Genesis 4. What is he building? His own city and his own culture. He's kicked out of the paradise of God, out of the pleasure of God, out of the garden of God. What was in the center? The tree of life. Now man is kicked out from that infusing, saturating life. Now man has to do it on his own. And so now man builds a culture. He murders. He doesn't have life in him. So whatever he does is not in accord with life, but in accord with death. Turn with me quickly to Genesis 6. And let's do a little word study because I want to wrap up today in Revelation again. Genesis 6. We see in chapter 3 the man's rebellion. We see in chapter 4 the consequence of man's rebellion. And now we see the progressive fall of man. He just goes deeper and deeper and falls more and more and more. And in Genesis chapter 6, it says in verse 1, When man began to multiply on the surface of the ground, huh? man was made out of what? The dust of the earth. And now he multiplies in accord with that dust. God's intent was that man would multiply in accord with life. Man would be in an earthen vessel, but there would be an excellent treasure within him. And that excellent treasure would shine forth through that vessel, kind of like Moses. Remember Moses was an earthen vessel, but the glory of God shone through him. You remember that? And the people looked upon that glory. That was God's goal. But now man is stepping outside of the glory of God. And he is multiplying not in glory, but he's multiplying on the surface of the ground. Man is becoming more dusty, more fleshy, more groundy. Are you with me? He's not multiplying in glory. He's multiplying on the surface of the ground. It means man is so earthbound. There's nothing glorious or heavenly in him anymore. And it says daughters were born to them. It says in verse 2, The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were fair, and they took wives for themselves from all whom they chose. And look at verse 3. And Yahweh said, My spirit, my breath, will not strive with man forever, for he indeed is flesh. So his days will be 120 years. The Nephilim, it says the giants, were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Look at verse 5. And Yahweh saw the wickedness of man, that it was great in the earth. Notice man was to have life within him and express the glory of God. Now man multiplies on the earth and he mingles with fallen beings. And he bears children and he becomes fleshy. He becomes degraded. And so the Spirit of God is not wanting to work with man anymore. Because every time the Spirit of God works with man, man rejects the Spirit. Here you see Galatians chapter 6 right here. Galatians 5 and 6. It says the flesh and the Spirit wars against each other. 
Spirit says, I don't want to work with them anymore. I don't want to labor with them anymore because nothing comes out of it. Brothers and sisters, can the Lord say the same thing about you today? I don't want to work with Francois anymore because I get nothing out of him. He's altogether become flesh. He's altogether become mingled with fallen elements. As the book of Hebrews says, today if you hear the voice of God, don't harden your heart. This is the book of Hebrews right there. These people so hardening their heart, so kicking against the Lord. Revelation says, I knock at the door, I knock, I knock, I knock. Oh, how I hope you would open the door so that I can come in and we can feast. These people here in Genesis 6 says, no thank you to life. I can do it my own way. And it says in verse 5, wickedness of man, the degrading state of man was great in the earth. And it says here, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. Look at verse 6. And Yahweh, the Lord God, repented. He was sorrowful that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him in his heart. Can you feel the heartbeat of God here? Working with man. Life is trying to work with man. Build in man. Reach out to man, knock at the door and say, life wants to come in. And man says, no thank you, no thank you, no thank you. Those of you that are in, into reformation theology or improvement theology, God is not wanting to improve your wicked flesh. He is interested in terminating your wicked flesh. That's why Paul says in Galatians 2, I have been crucified. God has no intention of reformation. He has intention only for termination. Genesis 6 is my life story today. God today wants to drown me and obliterate the flesh and the imagination that is consistently against Him. I'm not sure about you, but I have wisened up over the many years. I realize in me dwells nothing good. I am only deserving of death. Paul says in Romans 3, I have fallen short of the glory of God. I don't express Him. I am not built in Him. I don't have the dominion. Why? Because I said no to life. And for those of us who have become children of God, you have got to sober up as well that this life in you has a twofold purpose. It wants to dispense Christ in you and it wants to push the world out of you. Everything that is negative and what we say anti-Christ in me, God's life wants to push it out of me. There's a death that God wants to bring into my life. This is what happens here in Genesis 6. It says, Noah found grace. Noah found grace. Only that in you which is righteous will stand. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for you so you could become the righteousness of God in him. Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, Christ has become your righteousness. Only Christ will stand in the flood. When the waters come and the waves and the wind, only Christ who is the Word will stand in your life. So only the tree of life, only the rock, the Lord, the God, Christ Himself will stand in me. 
Everything else goes in the way of the flood for termination. So we see this in Genesis 6 now. But then look at Genesis 11. You don't have to turn there. But there's a progression now in the Bible. Genesis 3, man rebels. He says no to the tree of life. Genesis 4, you see the, the, the consequence. Man having his own provision, own pleasure, own protection. Then you see in 6 how man's lifestyle now develops. My lifestyle is one of rebellion. My lifestyle is one of my own culture, my own city, my own provision, my own pleasure, my own protection. My lifestyle is flesh. You see your notes there? My lifestyle is one of flesh. And then we get to Genesis 11. <gasps> they built this massive outlook tower called Babel. Probably somewhere there in Mesopotamia, building this, this shrine to self. I will gaze into the heavens, they say. Nothing is impossible for us. Man had so become degraded, so independent. Man lives completely separated from the tree of life here in Genesis 11. And you see in Genesis 11, when they built this massive tower, the Tower of Babel, we call it, it is a, it is a monument to man's independent achievement. See now, there's the rebellion, there's the building of the rebellion, and then there's the lifestyle of the rebellion. But then sooner or later, the more we live in this lifestyle, we'll begin to erect towers and monuments saying, look what I have done with my own independent fleshly nature. This is what the devil is doing in me. He is building me up into a massive tower. And that tower speaks of my independence from God. Saints, if the Lord don't snip us and cut us free from the flesh, sooner or later you will have a tower in your own name, to your own self. That tower will be impenetrable. God is trying to prevent you from building that fortress for yourself. That tower of Babel. He's wanting to slay you. That Babel is man's achievement. But now, all throughout the Bible, you'll see man living so independent of this tree. Man wanting to have nothing with this tree. And all the while, this tower of Babel is building, 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 till it becomes the city of the Babylon, the great harlot. The devil is building also, saints, just as surely as God is building. God is building the city of Jerusalem. He started with a man and a woman, and he is progressively in the way of life, building a beautiful corporate city called the New Jerusalem. Even so, the devil in Genesis 3 cuts man off from the tree of life and say, no man, don't eat life, eat knowledge of good and evil. And notice what that rebellion does. It creates this independent spirit in man. Anytime you are independent of the Lord, you are outside of life. Because the nature of life is dependence and the nature of the knowledge of good and evil is independence. And here's the devil building that independence. You see immediately in Genesis 4, he's beginning to murder through people life out of other people. You see in Genesis 4, verse 20, 21, 22, man 
taking care of his own necessities, his own amusement, his own defense. You see man's culture develop, man's cities develop. See how you and I fall? We fall from rebellion to building our own independent city, taking care of our own self, and then we become utterly fallen till we're people of the flesh. And then all the while the devil is building a tower of Babel in us, the tower of Babel. What is that Babelish? tower. It's the tower of self-accomplishment, the tower of independence. It's the monument to I, me, and myself. And it says there in Genesis 11, God looked down and saw that nothing would be impossible for that fleshly man. Whatever the fleshly man wants, he gets. He wants a woman, he gets him. He wants money, he gets him. Whatever the fleshly man wants, he wants to murder that one, exalt this one. The flesh is totally all-consumingly large. God's goal is to cut the flesh off. But the flesh continues to grow all throughout the Bible. And more people are added to Babel. More people are building this tower. More people are morphing into a city. A great city called Babylon. A great prostitute, a harlot. Notice here, Revelation 17. Starting in Genesis 3, it culminates in Revelation 17 and 18. Verse 1. Revelation 17, verse 1. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me saying, come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits upon the many waters. What is God's intention with this harlot? Say it with me. Judgment. The Tower of Babel, judgment. God, in Genesis 6, judgment. He has no tolerance for the flesh. No tolerance, saints. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Verse 2. This great woman, this harlot, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. There's an exchange there between the world and this woman. And that exchange is one of sexual immorality. It's pervertness. It is fornication. It is fooling around. The flesh of man and the devil is fooling around with one another. The flesh of man and the world is fooling around. The flesh is marked by fornication. What is fornication? It is self-pleasure. Using other things for its own pleasure. It started here in Genesis 3 and it's building, building, building. And here in Revelation 17, you see the nature of of people outside of the tree of life. It's a fornicating nature, a nature of murder. It's a nature of self-pleasing pleasure, whether it includes money, girls, or gold, or glory, or glamour, or as we say, money, sex, and power. That's the fornicating spirit. And the kings of the earth, the high-powered ones, the rulers, have committed this fornication. And those who dwell on the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Notice here, God was to be food to me and drink to me. And when I eat God, there's a sobriety. Hallelujah. 
There's a vigilance. There's an alertness. When the man and the woman ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there's a stupor, a blindness. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, The God of this world has blinded us. We're drunk now all of a sudden with the wine of this pleasurable fornication. So here I am, Francois, I'm like a puppet on a string, and I'm just marching to pleasure, marching to pleasure, marching, 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 and all the while I am drunk. I'm being led like a lamb to the slaughter. This is the nature of Babylon. We think we're building a big city for the flesh and a, and a monument for self. And it's all because I'm drunk and intoxicated. Yet God was wanting to be my drunkenness, my pleasure. But no, I've replaced life with wine and sex and immorality and gold. And saints, nothing has changed. Revelation gives me a picture of the culmination of everything. Revelation gives me a picture. So here, uh, this is the way I see it. There's a seed sown over here in Genesis, but that seed grows all the way to Revelation 17. And here we are. We are somewhere in, in, in this line. This shows me the picture that's going on from the beginning to the end. This shows me that even now we are living in where this whole thing will wrap up. Everything I experience now has already been written in Revelation 17. When you walk in the flesh, you are drunk and a fornicator. Whether you sleep with a woman or not, the context here is you sleep with the devil. You sleep with deception. You sleep with stuporness and blindness. And you sleep with, with, with pleasure. It's not just talking about physical sexual things. It's a type and a shadow. That from this Genesis 3 when man fell and he lived independent of God, fornication and immorality and pleasure and drunkenness and stupor has been the whole game all throughout the generations and the ages until it wraps up in Revelation 17. You need to know this. Revelation 17 gives me a picture of the entire condition of the ages of those outside of the tree of life. Look at verse 3. And he carried me away in spirit into a wilderness. In other words, you cannot understand this Babylon the Great with your natural senses. God has to take you in the spirit. You have to see it from a spiritual perspective, okay? That's why we're taken in the spirit. Flip over to Revelation chapter 21 verse 10. Notice, he carried me away in spirit. To understand the vision of the new Jerusalem, you also need to be in the spirit. You've got to understand by spiritual revelation. Flip back to 17 verse 3. 17 verse 3. He carried me away in spirit where? To a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting upon a scarlet beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Turn to chapter 21, verse 10. And he carried me away in spirit onto a great and high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Saints, look here. 
In spirit, John was carried to a wilderness to see Babylon, the harlot, the mother of the harlots. Equally, John was carried in spirit to a great and high mountain to see the holy Jerusalem. Notice, this lifestyle of Genesis 3, the lifestyle of the knowledge of good and evil, the lifestyle of independence, that lifestyle of the flesh, the, the city of, of Babylon this great, this, this, this mother of harlots, you have to go in spirit to the wilderness. What is the wilderness? It is outside of the paradise of God. What is the wilderness? It is there where there's no water. There's no refreshment. There's nothing cooling, nothing soothing, nothing satisfying in the wilderness. The wilderness is a place of wander and dies. Remember our seminar, wanders dies. The wilderness is a place of unbelief, God-forsaken territory. That's where you go when you live independent of God. A wilderness. When you live dependent on God, where does the Spirit take you? The angel take you in the Spirit to a high mountain. When you go to a high mountain, it's different than the valley and the wilderness below. That's where Babylon the Great lives. God's new holy Jerusalem, you see it from a mountain. A mountain speaks of revelation. It speaks of insight. It speaks of clarity. When you live by the tree of life, you will live on the mountaintop and you will see the things of God. You either live in the wilderness or you live on the mountain. Back to chapter 17. It says in verse 4, This woman was clothed in purple and scarlet. It has the elements of royalty and attraction and allure to it. Purple, costly, scarlet, very costly. Purple came from a murex snail. Murex. Murex snail from uh, Phoenicia up there a little bit north of Israel. And this murex snail had a little gland in it. And there came only like a little smidget of purple ink out of that snail. And folks would collect that little droplet of purple ink, kill multiple hundreds of millions of snails just to make one little thimble of purple thread. So back in the olden day, if you were a murex farmer, a snail farmer, and you traded with purple cloth, you were among the richest of the richest. Royalty. This scarlet clothed, purpley clothed woman, this abomination, this antichrist, this other than God woman has this attraction of royalty. That's why all of us love this woman. We love this beastly monstrosity because there's purple, there's scarlet. Look at it. This woman is gilded with gold and precious stones and pearls. <gasps> Where have we heard of gold and precious stones and pearls? The new Jerusalem is built with these things too. Notice here, this tree culminates in a woman 
culminates in, 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 in a clothed woman that looks a lot like God's woman. She looks like the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, but she does not have the nature of God. You have the line of life that culminates in this beautiful bride of Christ. Then you have the line of death that culminates on this evil, despicable, it's called the abomination. Of all abominations is this woman. And she's here. She is sitting. Here she is. There's her dress. She's sitting on a beast. Can you see the beast? (laughs) She is sitting on a beast. And she looks just as attractive as the woman of God does. This woman of God is covered with gold. She has pearls. We call it the pearly gates, but there's a different lesson there than just pearly gates. We might go into that at a later time. But life is building into this most beautiful woman, and the city has the appearance of jasper. Revelation 4 says the throne of God has the appearance of jasper. So the city and the throne of God is the same likeness. It has gold and the appearance of jasper. Here comes this woman, this fleshly, carnal, abomination woman, this anti-God, and yet she has some of the very appearances of God. No wonder all of us are attracted to this. The beast is the world, and the woman is religion. Because religion has gold to it, pearls to it, precious stones, scarlet. It's very attractive. But notice what comes out of this woman. Read verse 4. Purple, scarlet, gilded with gold, precious stones, pearls. But look at this. She has in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the unclean things of her fornication. Saints, in the middle of the new Jerusalem is the throne of God. And out of the throne of God comes the river of water of life. This woman has a cup. And out of the cup comes the fornicating, abominable, anti-God guck. Each woman has something to give. The new Jerusalem has the very throne of God in the center with the river of life. What does God give? Out of God comes life. It started here in the garden and it wraps up with the tree of life in the city of life with the river of water of life. Here in Genesis chapter 3 is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that man eats. He eats death and it wraps up in a woman whose cup is full of abominations, full of unclean things and fornication. Saints, but you will not know it if you look at the outside of the cup. You will not know it. Because the woman is clothed in scarlet and purple, gilded with gold and silver and precious stones and pearls, and a golden cup. And we all look at the outside of the cup and we say, Ooh, I want to drink that cup. And the Lord Jesus said, Father, if it's possible, remove that cup from me. 
Three times he pleaded with the Lord, I don't want to drink that golden cup of the abomination of the world. I don't want to become one with the sins and the plagues of mankind to pay for them. But not my will, yours be. Jesus drank that despicable sin. And he died as my substitute, so I don't have to drink that cup. This woman daily is dishing out this cup to me saying, Come drink of me, my son. Come click on me, my son. My daughter, come. My son, come. And God says to me, Don't drink of it. My son has already drunk and paid for it. Here, this woman is dishing out to you a cup again. And she says, Drink of me. I will fill you. God says, I am the fountain of life. This woman says, no, no, no. I'll be your pleasure and your provision and your amusement. I'll be the one that satisfies your flesh. No wonder all of us are so lured by this woman. She doesn't come to us looking like a devil. She has an appearance of attraction. It's no wonder all of us run to her, blinded. And then we get to her and we're thirsty. We're really thirsting for the fountain of life. And she says, I've got a cup for you. Gluck, 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 gluck. And another one bites the dust right there. Are you with me? And she's riding the the world system, this beast. In the ancient days, these beasts, it speaks of an adventurous beast, a wild beast unpredictable. It speaks of a beast in the world out there. You look at that tiger or that jaguar or that cougar or whatever that beast it may be and you say, wow, that is beautiful. We got to bring that thing into the circus. There's an element of surprise to it. There's, it's raw nature. We look at the world system. It's like that beast. Whoa, see the spots on the beast. See the growl of the beast. Look at the performance of the beast. Wow, we're all attracted to the beast. And what happens here in Revelation 17 and 18, as the Lord marries the city of Jerusalem and becomes one with the bride of Christ, this woman will marry the the beast. That's why the Spirit says, come out of her, my people. You will have to get out of your slumbering. You will have to wake up up. You will have to like daily begin to exercise your spirit because I myself and you are easily tricked to believe this is the real deal. It all started in Genesis and it's building towards this. Building. So today the spirit of the the Lord Jesus also says to you, wake up. Be sober. Be vigilant. Come out of her, my people. Look at verse 5. On the forehead of this woman was a name that was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of the harlots. She's the queen, the mother of the harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the, and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus Christ. And I marveled with great marvel when I saw her. Of course, this is a sign. This is a a, a type and a shadow. John, John sees 
not a literal woman, but he sees a sign, a symbol of religion and the world. What does religion do? It martyrs and kills and cuts off the saints and those who have the testimony of Christ. You are very safe if you are a nominal Christian living in the nominal world involved with nominal religion. You are absolutely safe. Stay there. It's comfortable. It's goldy. It's purpley. It's scarlety. It's a cup with a lot of cool things for you to drink. She will not butcher you. But step out and say, I have got nothing to do with you. I am done with you. And she will come after you. Why? Those who have the testimony of Christ and are the saints who call upon the Lord and we live by the tree of life, you will experience her coming after you big time. So maybe some of you that are being tormented by this woman, it's because you start to have the testimony of Christ in you. Will you be an overcomer? A part of being an overcomer is to be an outercomer. <laughs> the point of this all, the tree of life is building into something other. The tree of death is building into something completely other. Take up the testimony of Christ and watch what will happen to you. Stay nominal, cozy, comfortable, compromising, and you will drink the cup of the abominations of her fornication. She will murder you. She seeks to destroy life in you. Saints, but don't be afraid of her destruction. Don't be afraid of her death blow. She can do nothing to you. Amen? Greater is He who is in me than he who is in the... See, these two have become one, just surely as those two have become one.